0: Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, episode number 144. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes that have known each other forever. They catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD for lunch to talk everything and Footy Club. My name is Grant and with me on this very special episode is Scott.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, good to be back. We uh, we wanted to uh, just cover the, the season. We realized that we hadn't really done a whole podcast on the actual season of 2021 for the Essendon Football Club. Uh, and we just thought, who, who can we have a chat to? And and we've always loved the voice of Sam Vecini. Uh, always, uh, he's from the, the Athletic in the States. Great, uh, great uh, writer and analysis on all college basketball. And you're, also, you're probably going to ask me, well, then why is he going to discuss Essendon? Uh, so if you don't know Sam, he's a mad, mad Essendon fan. Married in, uh, thanks to his lovely wife. Uh, into the Essendon family, uh, moved recently. Moved to the wonderful Melbourne City, and he is all over the Essendon Football Club. So we want to introduce Sam. How are you going, Sam?
2: Doing well, guys. How are you doing? Very,
1: very good. Very very. Yeah, Sam, very sorry, Matt, Sam. Just just to sort of illustrate a
0: little bit more that well, some one of the first times we met Sam, it was Sam knows more about AFL football than any American should, <laughs> and so we we thought as an analysis for this for the full season. Um, we'll let Sam rip. We're going to ask him all the great questions. And for the listeners of this show, sit back, relax, and uh, you're going to be astounded that uh, <laughs> the amount of stuff that Sam knows about the AFL plus all of the rest of the stuff for he does for his daytime job. So we love talking to Sam and uh, we, we know you guys are going to as well.
2: Yeah. Like the the Essendon football club is probably the, the only team that I have watched every game of in the last eight years that they've played. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I'm very, very, uh, very ready to have this conversation. Please and pass was a that very to our exciting your year.
1: wife. <laughs> so, so, oh. so we want to do uh yeah, cover uh, 2021. Uh, look, it, no doubt, uh you know, if you're coming from myself and Grant, it's, it, you've probably heard all our voices uh, in weekly about, you know, how uh, pleased we were with how things have gone uh, after a pretty horrific 2020 and, and losing some big names. Uh, a lot happened in the off-season, which we've covered a lot during the year, so we won't go all over it. But uh, if you name every pundit, and I think there was like a, a release of nearly every tipster, we were pretty much bottom four <laughs> uh, team, uh, supposedly going into this year. And... We end the year in eighth spot, winning eleven games, uh, seven games we've we've lost by sixteen or under, uh, and that's not including the uh, the Richmond game where we were up by a couple of points before we uh, had three guys sort of go out of the game injured and and sort of fell away quite badly. So really, in almost eighteen games out of the twenty two, we we're either in the game or won the game. So our percentage obviously improved by thirty points, which is a huge it's improvement. Incredible uh from 79 to 109 uh so there's a lot of positives but uh, sam what was your kind of expectation say january 2021 uh, to to where things are today so to give us your whole view of where you saw things earlier on and how that how that transpired
2: yeah i thought the season was going to be a disaster uh i thought it was going to be an absolute mess I was purely ready to just play the kids. Um, I I was ready for a Zach Merritt departure. Like, I was that fatalistic. Wow. Um, Like, I I was just ready for them not to be anywhere near the level that they showed. I I thought it was going to be terrible. And I, I think that the main crux of why that was was. You would hear reports late in the year last year that Ben Rutten was more involved in the game planning and scheme and everything that they were trying to do than what people thought, given that John Warsfold was the coach, and, or at least the nominal head coach. Right. But it became clear from game one against Hawthorne, that that just wasn't the case, that Ben Rutten was clearly not able to implement the vision that he wanted to from the start point of last year when he was named coach in waiting. And you could see immediately, even before Darcy Parrish was moved into the midfield, even before um, any of the number of young breakout players like Harry Jones actually even broke out, you could see that it was very clearly a much more competent brand of football. It was a much more modern style of football that made sense for where the game is going. And it just looked to have a lot more cohesion in what they were doing. I think that that is the absolute number one thing that I just take away from this season is A, Ben Rutten is really good. And we should feel confident that the right coach is in charge and B, I mean, John fault. Good, good God, man. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine being Carlton and hiring that guy. After you see how Essendon looks at the start of this year after getting rid of him. Yeah. What are you doing? Even bringing him in as consultant, this guy should be far away from modern football at (laughs) this point.
1: Yep. Well, yeah, it's for, for me, um, uh, and I've talked about this a bit. Uh, I love I love seeing the guys train, right? So I, I'm 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 a bit of a nerd that way, and and I go down to the preseason because you get you you get to see a lot, um, and you just get to see how they're moving the ball. You know, because there's no one there, right? You can hear the coach. You can hear him saying, "Hey." Um, I want an outlet here. I want, Hey, I need a breakaway here. We want to do a handball chain through this corridor. So you hear this stuff and you hear, and you hear truck, you know, the small things you see truck just with Laverde for half an hour periods of, cause truck is a fantastic fallback in his own right. And you see him with Laverde and you see him just doing repetitive one-on-one drills. This is how you move your body. So he's not even just senior coach at that point. He's just a strictly a development coach. And and as the year went on, I remember uh, uh, Langford, uh, McGrath, and Parrish coming in really early, and actually getting getting a lot of the under twenty two you got twenty two year olds actually in th- two to three weeks earlier than they are even scheduled to start, and they will just basically at the hangar kicking the ball and 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 you know just running around getting fit and they had no right to be there but that's and when we we're down there and seeing McGraw and Langford almost coaching this group in a weird way like they'll were, they were just mentors I, I remember saying to a couple of guys who watch us at training there's something funny going on here because this is as happy as I've seen training. In, it probably since I've seen it in my ten years. Like this is a, this is a group that's it's authentically happy with what you know, and for such a short period, um, after quite a bit of turmoil, um, it, it was quite alarming. I was like, oh, okay. And then, uh, and then you you hear about Trucks' um, message to the players, and and even Xavier just mentioned even I think it was yesterday um, on Sen. So he talked about this eight series. Um, TV show that's going to go on Fox Footy about the Essence Club's history and they're covering all parts of Essence history. Uh, they, they've they been making that for 24 months right and Truck asked for quite a lot of the vision of that and, and he got the guys to sit down and start, start understanding the club you're playing for and he, he felt that was a real pivotal thing that this, that probably the pre- predecessor uh, in Worsfold maybe didn't do enough but he felt like I don't think this group even understands the club they're playing for, what its right. history is, and and it's not to just go back and and only think back. It's 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 a way of moving forward to understand what this club stood for, what its history, what its roots were, uh, and then and just that whole preseason, how he structured that whole preseason, saying we're going to do one week of training at Windy Hill, uh, uh, in the first couple of months, and and then getting Carousella, getting Gian Syracuse, who was assistant coach of the year uh, for the Bulldogs, uh, having three kind of minds at a younger age who understand modern football uh, and saying we're going to set up a whole new way of, of how we move the ball, how we set up the field. Uh, I was by, by March or April thinking there's something, you know, I was watching these match simulations going gee there's something going on here and and I was too scared to come say it like saying well, I think we're going to be a really good team uh, because I, I just had those decade and decade of of us yeah. not happening on actually in the two hours you know on a senior game um but even the Hawthorne game it was it was a gut-wrenching start to the year with the Hawthorne game and then Port Adelaide is Port Adelaide we, we got thumped um we probably just weren't ready there yet. Um, and probably thinking about the previous week blunder. Um, but then from that period on, um, it was just, uh, it was, it was just fantastic to see because, uh, it was playing the kids. It was, it was a whole new football club. It to, that's how it felt to me yeah. anyway. It felt like a whole new football club and a, and a club that to me found its soul.
2: Well, th- that brings three things to mind, what you just said. So th- the first thing that comes to mind is the past right? You bringing up the idea of who this football club is. And you guys know that much better than I do, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've watched like three games before the eight years that I've watched Essendon, right? Um, I just don't have that backing of history, but from what I understand, it's club based on hard work and based on having guys that have that like killer mentality, Mm -hmm. right? You want guys that want to just like take the soul of the opposition in a lot of ways. And it's funny because I look back on the Zach Merritt saga of the last couple years. And you remember there were reports kind of starting at the end of last year. I think Kaltumi wrote one about how Zach Merritt kind of was removed from the leadership group in large part yep. because he embodied a lot of those things. Like he was a constant worker. He was someone that didn't really take shit from people, right? Like he was someone that had that kind of culture that you look for. Like he he was, to me, like when I read that and and like read about like the issues with merit being removed from the leadership group, I was like, wait, this isn't on merit. This is on the club. This, This isn't this is on the people in charge. This is on like everything to do with that. Like that's the kind of guy that I want to be the guy who stewards the culture going forward. Um, And then you bring up the idea of what the present and what you could see with just being a training early on. I I can't credit this coaching staff enough for the way that they've gone about development and the way that they've gone about building a team that just looks a much better in terms of cohesion, but b just much more skilled and much smarter. And clearly it's been developed positionally um, in ways that the previous coaching staff just never did. I mean, I'll be honest. Like I did not think that James Stewart as a fullback thing was going to work at all. I thought that he was a little too slow twitch. I thought that like he Read the ball well, but I, I just didn't see how he would be able to deal with these big athletes that are six foot five and can actually move and like can do all that stuff. I mean, he's unbelievable. Like, he was a really genuinely good, above average fullback for yep. us this year as a tall defender. Mm. And that's not something I expected. Jaden Laverde going from, you know, mid sized forward back to mid sized defender. And Jaden Laverde is going to finish what, top six? easily, in our best easily. First. top five yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah like i mean it'll be something like um you know darcy parish and zach Merritt and jordan ridley and then he's mm-hmm. in the next group behind absolutely those easily right so the fact that g and syracusa and ben Rutten, obviously as well given the fact that he's a defender by trade I believe firmly that both of those guys have played such a critical role in the defense being as good as it is and playing such a critical role in player development. Nick Cox being ready earlier than what everyone expected. Um, Archie Perkins being able to play nearly every game this year. Harrison Jones being able to play every game before he was healthy or before he got injured. I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, other than one, I believe. So it was clear that there's a developmental uh, mindset. Toward the club now, but one that is building a culture and one that is building a culture for a club that was in desperate need of a cultural overhaul in mm-hmm. many ways, mm-hmm. following the Warsfold era. And I just can't speak highly enough of this coaching staff because of that. Like that, that, that stuff is very, very impressive to me. And in the end, it resulted in the most important thing going forward for their future, which is Zach Merritt continuing on at the club yeah. like to me like everyone talks about Andrew McGraw everyone talks about some other guys that are the future captain of the club I mean to me that's the guy like it's got to be merit I think mm. just full stop
1: well I, I think you're exactly right and one thing I I felt like too is is the players they seemed for me from afar to simplify a game plan that was clear to teach like I, it was the for me, there's a group of guys here that was probably as clear-minded as I as there have been for a long time, where they went out, they understood a very simple kind of plan uh, of how they wanted to do it, um, and and I, go for it, it. it would be I, it
0: would, that's like I, I'm, I was just about to jump in and say exactly what you were just saying, Scrooge, and I'll let you get straight back to it. But I I wonder whether or not the plan itself is quite complicated, right? The overall plan is complicated and difficult and, and 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 hard to articulate right but does does truck and gia and Kara and those guys do they have the ability to sell the bigger picture to the team or do they have the ability to grab jaden laverde and grab nick hind and grab harry jones and coxie and and tell them their part of the overall plan really simply. Is that where the simplistic part is? Coxie, get out there and get a kick, mate. Run around, use your two-meterness, do all of this. Righty, lead. Lead for the ball, lead, take the marks, do what you need to do. So keeping that in mind, the little bit that I've just checked in there, Scotty, keep
1: going with what you were saying. Yeah, well, I mean, in some ways you're right. The The message seemed to be, how well, it's either, even if it was complicated, obviously their way of communicating yeah. is very, very effective. And, I mean, the buy-in from the players was was very, very evident. Uh, but, I mean, even like an example like Peter Wright. Peter Wright came across with a certain reputation. And, I'll, and again, like when I talked about truck with Laverde, it was very clear from day one, I went to day one of his training, right, it was all about contested ball. They wanted to drill in him. You're going to be successful if you can have contested marking and 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 also while rucking have a stronger presence, uh, because that obviously they felt that was his weakness. And and if you watch a few Suns games, that was his weakness. Like on the lead, if he had space, he marks it, and he's a good set shot. But he actually was, if you if you kicked it long, he he. I don't want to say the soft, word soft, Scotty. It's yeah. called soft. Yeah, right? he, it, he he was, was quite soft. soft in the contest, and and really for about three to four months, it was just drilled, just drill after drill of of him having to be physical against his opponent. And you know, that's when Ambrose and that was like fit and training, and and a few other guys, and they were you know they were told to you know you no know, hit him like bump him hard. This is what he's. This is what will turn him. Uh, uh, this what was the top ten pick prospect, and you can tell that it's within. He has a talent within that, but this is the only way it's going to be fulfilled. And as the Euro went on, like Peter Wright started to get that really that contested marking um much much better. But that's it. They they just had clear messages. This is how like you felt like individually they had clear messages, and as a team they had clear messages. I I saw very early on. Them getting the midfield group with Caldwell, uh, Merritt, Parish, McGrath, these guys, they had a clear view of that they would be elite at handball, and that was like a, a very obvious drill um, pre-season that to create space in tight traffic they had to be super fast and elite at handballing, like one two three handball that kind of, and were off and running um, to you know so they really worked hard on that handball clearance. Um, And I thought that was one of the shining things that their midfield was really working on. Um, So yeah, it's, it's like, like Sam said, it's just a credit to the coaching. Um, And you know, the, I guess individually, and I'd like to talk Sam round two, end of round two, Caldwell goes out injured for long-term. Shield goes out long-term and Probably a move that happens, which you mentioned at the start of the show. A move that happens, which this podcast has been crying out for for probably two or three years, oh, and and lo- and longer since the kids been at the club. Uh, that all right? We're gonna put we we're kind of gonna put Darcy Parrish as an inside mid and at uh, full time, and uh, from then on, I, I did a, I just had a quick look um, at some stats on on Parish, and I was just having a look. He's, so his previous years, right, and he's, he's a guy that doesn't get injured a lot. So he plays your 20 games a year. Uh, his total disposals over his career. So 305, 421, 415, 433, 326, 701 this year. Uh, his clearances 50, 64, 64, 66, 72, 175 this year. I mean, it's insane at the level he went to this year and boy did, did Zach Merritt need it because it released Zach Merritt. And as a, as a two man attack and then following stringer coming on as the season started to progress, it was probably the most dynamic three mids that was going around. at at some stages of this of the season.
2: Yeah. Uh, just real quick to run back to Peter Wright. I mean, Peter Wright finished top 20 in the competition and contested marks this year. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like, was phenomenal. He brings everything to ground. I've only good things to say about that trade. That was phenomenal. But on Parish, I mean, I'll tell you a story. Like I was talking to a person who works for an AFL team and list management. And I was like, you know, uh, and this is after last season, I was just like, man, I'm just really worried. I know that Darcy Parrish is good. I know that he is definitely like a, top 10 player on an afl list he's talented like i'm not i'm not concerned about that i just don't think we're going to be the club that gets the best out of him like do we think that like he could get like a you know top 20 pick in the draft like what are like what does his value look like league wide and the person was like yeah like you know i think at the time geelong had like picks 19 and 20 or something like that in the draft they were like yeah like geelong probably give up like pick 19 something like that for Darcy Parish and I was like honestly I probably would want to see what he looks like under the new coaching staff but that doesn't sound too bad to me because I'm just worried about where this is going with him and like it might be best for everyone to make a clean break and clearly that was just dumb because once he actually played in the position that he's supposed to play, which has always been inside midfield. Like I don't understand you drafted this great contested ball getter who is phenomenal as an inside midfielder and you never play him there. It's, it befuddles me and confounds me that John Worsfall couldn't figure this out. But like, as soon as that happened, we just saw it click in such a real way. He's so good. He is so good. He makes great decisions. He makes better decisions on contested ball. And like when guys are bearing down on him in the middle of the ground, like as an inside midfielder, than he does when he's like out in space and like as a forward, like a half forward, that's trying to find like another small forward on a lead. Like just from the way that he clearly was brought up playing football he knows those reads way better than he knows the role that we pigeonholed him into Mm -hmm. or shoehorned him into. Yeah. So like, it's, he's awesome. He's so good. He, I think that like, there's a real chance he's going to end up in the top, like six in the Brownlow. Not to say that I think he's like a top six player in the competition necessarily. It's just that the way that the Brownlow voting happens, he has these like, incredible like apex like ceiling games that yeah, are yeah. unbelievable where he'll Four, get 40 votes. plus touches uh... right like he's gonna get like 24 mm-hmm. votes 26 votes something like that in the brown yeah. load just because he had eight games this year where he was just like by far the best player on the ground <laughs> yeah, um, it's like between him and Merritt. so yeah just an unbelievable player the next step for him is figuring out just how to break a tag right because yep. team's that started to put more emphasis on him later in the season, I think had some success with that. Yeah. Um, And that's fine. That's part of a young midfielder's growth. Every and the, the yes. Year. And the
0: midfield's got to help with that a little bit too. We, we totally. need to,
2: we need to put some coaching in place to, uh to help Darcy with his, um, with being tagged as well. Yeah, totally. And if he's being tagged, it's going to open up other opportunities for midfielders as well. Like um, they need Jack Caldwell, I think to mm. be good. Um, they need Andrew McGraw to be more efficient by foot at the end of the day. Um, I I have less faith in Dylan shield, like developing at this point, just because Dylan shield is a veteran player who kind of is what he is and has been around for a long time, but any improvement Dylan shield could make in terms of disposal efficiency would be great just for the club in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of on, it's kind of on those guys as well as it's on Darcy to be able to just kind of break free of that from time to time Sam, i wanted to get your opinion on the coaching staff we've sort of we're jumping backwards and forwards a little bit but
0: i mean in in your job and your experience in the states you you talk to coaching staff you talk to recruiters you talk to senior um, sports administrators in the u.s and and the u.s teams and like so i I assume you've got a, a good understanding of what what goes into the makeup of a good coaching team and what what's been successful in, in the U S and, and even just sort of looking at the Australian um, AFL as well. I'm, I put down our success this year to like what Scotty was saying before, very simplistic messaging from their employers, because we got Coxie and we got um, righty and um, the moves down back of Jimmy Stewart and Joan Laverde. They're just master strokes. I mean, he's, I bet, But I also bet you that Gia didn't walk into a meeting one day and said, I've, I've had the God himself has shown me that Jimmy Stewart should play at fullback and it'll fix all our problems, right? <laughs> it, was a, it was a guess because Jimmy's not going to be playing in the forward line. we got Harry Jones it's going to be coming through. Uh, we're yeah. probably going to draft this um, big uh, ranger from, um, uh, from the Gold Coast. And where do we put Jimmy Stewart, right? Um, Hooksy is on the way out. Bears in a lot of trouble. Let's try Jimmy Stewart down back and see what happens. Nobody thought that he would do what he did, right? But, and the same thing for Laverde. They've just gone, well, seriously, we've tried him everywhere else. Why not down half back? Um, And Scotty, was it Ken Fraser? No, or Ken Fletcher?
1: Ken Fletcher, yeah. Yeah.
0: Ken Fletcher, yeah. (laughs) Ken Fletcher, Dustin's father, um, used to teach uh, or used to coach Jaden Laverde um, way, way back. um, And he said he utterly dominated at half back. Um, and he's been telling the and Footy Club for years to play Jaden Laverde down back because he dominates down there mm-hmm. and they finally move him. So my, my question to you is we, we've roughly got the same players, like Hindy, and, and we've got some new good players and Coxie's a great player, and that's all good stuff, right? Harry Jones looks the goods. But the difference between how the players started the year and the ball movement and that sort of stuff I think personally comes down to the coaching staff because the simplistic message of each person, that's, that's my humble opinion is that the, the game plan might be very difficult, right. And very complex, but each player, very Richmond like knows their role and they do their yep. role. And that role slots in with that role and that role slots in with that role. So my question to you is, do you see any similarities from your experience in the States on what successful coaching staff looks like with what truck and Gia and those guys are doing? Because to me, it looks very, it looks methodical. It looks, they're addressing off field. They're addressing on field. Truck never looks worried. He just looked, it looks very, very calm. Woosher just looked like he, and, and bless him for what he did for the saga thing, but he just looked like he turned up to work, put the whistle in his mouth, waved his hand a few times and the players really had no direction. So I'll be interested to understand from your experience, what, what, what you think, sorry, how you think truck's gone about it and where you think the success points were for him.
2: Yeah. So a few different things there. I mean, it seemed like near the end of last year that like Stewart played a game in defense last year, late in the year. And Laverde from what i remember reading they had kind of started to make that transition late last year right
1: uh was it like i remember decision... Stewart. i don't remember as laverde as much but yeah the decision, the decision might, may have been decision made. may have been made but yeah but i don't know if he yeah. ended up actually playing a game there but um right
2: yeah um like stewart played a game there i don't think laverde yeah, he played a couple, actually played yeah, yeah, a but... game yeah um And I think that that speaks to something that I feel pretty strongly about is that you make the scheme work for the players you have. You don't try and fit square pegs into round holes in terms of just who you have on your team, right? Like a lot of coaches try to, they they have it set in their mind that they want to play one way and they will only play that way you know in basketball they will, they're a motion offense coach and they only want to play the motion offense right um you know i don't know the football terminology necessarily to be able to like <laughs> say that right yeah, but sure. i think that a lot of coaches in general have the idea of we want to do things this one way and we want to make it work and i think that the richmond idea quote unquote right has been pitched as that in the media but i don't think it actually is that necessarily like i think that damian hardwick has adjusted what they've done and adjusted to the talents that they have over the years like they had this incredible small forward brigade around jack rewalt in the first um the first flag that they won recently right and just pressured, 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 pressured constantly. And I think that because of that, that narrative is stuck, right? That they're just like the pressure team, yep. right? In their forward half, particularly. And I still think they do a lot of that, but like, you know, you lose Dan Butler, you replace Dan Butler's place in the forward line um, with other guys. And then you go out and you get Tom Lynch. So now you're playing two unbelievably good talls, Yeah. like, they're not as pressure oriented in their front line as they used to be. Damian Hardwick has adjusted to the talent that he has in a substantial way. With John Warsfold, I never felt like that adjustment was occurring. I never felt like there was an adjustment to the talent that Essen didn't had. And I think that it goes toward the idea of playing a square peg in a round hole like Darcy Parrish Darcy up Parrish. forward, right? Mm-hmm and look like Ben Rutten played Darcy Parish up forward for the first three games of the year, two games of the year. Right. So like I, I, on some level he deserves credit for the season that he had, but on some level that's on Darcy, just like taking the opportunity and running with it when he yeah. had the opportunity. Right. So I think that the number one thing to me is just adjusting your scheme for the talent that you have. And then once you have, an idea of the talent you have and the scheme that will make sense for them, making it as easy as possible. Like you're saying, making sure that everyone understands their roles, making sure that everyone gets how they have to play. Everyone um, knows what their job is at all times, right? Like it's a bill Bella model for the new England Patriots. Cause I'm sure that Australian people watch American football on some level. Right. Yeah, like I see enough advertising for it here. Um, like, Bill Belichick's whole thing is know your role and perform your role. And I think that mm-hmm. that's something that the Essendon football club has done a great job of this year. Um, beyond that though, I think it all starts with culture at the top and creating environment where people want to be. And that speaks to what Scott was saying earlier. Like I could see it through the TV that people like wanted to be there and that the environment mm-hmm. and excitement around the club was better. Scott confirms it by saying, in March, he could see this, mm. right? Like, that it was very obvious that, um, this team's culture was just much better. By the end of that era last year, with Warsfold and with all of the turnover on the board, and um with the media coming down on them for the past moves that they've made, like, the culture around the club was not good. Like, there's just no way it was, right? No. Like, that doesn't speak from inside experience, but like, yeah. there's just no way that it was positive around there. Um, so, I think that Ben Rutten, Daniel G in Syracusa, uh, like Caracella, everyone else on the coaching staff, I think that that's the biggest piece of what they had to repair. And it's hard to say that they, did a better job uh they could have done a better job with it
1: yep look we're just going to go to a very quick 15 second break uh we'll be back continuing on with our season review
0: Welcome back to the lunchtime catch up podcast. Um, now then, Scotty,
1: can I just say, you know, before the break, we were just talking about, uh, you know, the the preseason and, and and everything like that, and and it just occurred to me again, you know, when I was talking about, you know, preseason with McGrath, uh, the Langford, the Parish, and and I'll include Merritt with that by the way, preseason training. It, Without me knowing, it felt like to me the club identified the 22 to 26-year-old bracket that had been underperforming for probably three or four years, if I'm being honest, uh, as a group. But there, but frustratingly, there was a lot of talent there, um, but we weren't getting the best out of them. And I've always said, you know, I think I said this at the end of the last round, there'll be a whole narrative about playing the kids and everything like that. But if we're all very, very honest, Perkins and Cox were good um, considering the, the Mr. Year of footy. But you wouldn't say they had a major impact on our form. I would say Cole Langford. Uh, I would say uh, Merritt's rejuvenation, Parish, La Verde, uh, Redmond being – I mean, Red, Mason Redmond, Redmond had an yes, unbelievable Redmond. year. Uh, yep. Uh, it's this group, uh, Will Snelling, it's this group that really came um, strong this year and that must be also aligned to coaching and and a bit of a targeted area for, for this group because I always felt like if I was a coach, this is how I felt like at the start of the year, that's the group I need to get in. I know we've got young talent. I know we just drafted young talent. It won't go anywhere unless that 22 to 26-year-old bracket plays uh, football to its ability uh, and it was always my frustration uh, so that to me was my favorite actual aspect of the year to seeing that, that group there uh, really fulfill the talent I always believed it had uh, because I, I always had a frustration about oh we've been drafting the wrong guys the last couple of years and I always felt like I see these guys at training and, and often at training it's frustrating because they often at training they play them in their right spots because you're playing team on team match simulation, if that makes sense. So you're playing 40 guys. So somewhere in there Parrish is playing an inside mid for one team and he's playing against Merritt and you're seeing, oh, wow, they play so well, oh, this guy's so good. And then the season starts and Parrish is half forward and and Langford's either in and out the side and, and, and Laverde's, you know, Sometimes even playing full forward, uh, and and just nothing was nothing was sticking. Uh, but to correct that and get the best out of that group there, for me is what will propel the side going forward. Because I think their belief now is 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 so strong. Uh, now now I think you'll see the Perkins and Cox start to take a step up because they that you know one thing you do realise in a preseason, as much as they're developed, they don't go hard on their fitness base. Like they, they, a lot of the training sessions, it's kind of a half a session. It's a lot of work on their, you know, their skills and development of what they want them to do. But they are very much on a managing kind of young body mode and especially this group that hadn't played the previous year. There was, uh, you know, from the whispers I heard, there was that obvious, like, we don't want these guys to have three hammies. In, in the year, like they've missed a lot of football. Uh, so they had a very light preseason um, to normally what you see. So now they're going into a much bigger preseason. You're going to see them put on some muscle, put on, you know, uh, put on some speed, put on um, and, and and develop their skills even more. So I would suggest, you know, a Zach Reed, a Perkins and Cox, uh, you're going to see them, you know, Probably a bigger output. Probably, probably reads the only one that's coming a bit further back because obviously he was very limited in what he could do this year. But I, you know, it, it's um, it's pretty exciting to to have the youth. Then hopefully you can develop and have them catch up a bit to to where the 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 mid twenties group sort of went through this year. So, and I, I love the fact, and I don't know what your thoughts, Sam. I mean, Truck Cal Toomey um, had a long sit-down with Truck in the last week Uh, and out of it came probably about two or three articles actually. Um, And he was asked about, you know, trading in players and how they're going to go draft and what have you thought of the year. I think he nailed all those messages. He said, he kind of like, he didn't dismiss the year. He said, you know, we made a lot of progress. Man, have we got a lot of hard work to do. We are not near this top six group. Basically, he was – and we've got a lot of hard work to do. Um, and so he had a very much message of like this club had before, and I'll say it, got ahead of themselves. We're not doing it this time. Uh, we're, this is the development uh, phase of this group. And he was basically saying, look, if you're expecting us to trade as some big guys, this is not going to happen. Like we, we're, we've got pick 11. We're going to draft a kid. We're going to keep developing – um, unless something crazy happens, like a Ben King says, suddenly I want out and I want to go to Essendon. Sure. They may look at it, but outside <laughs> of that, they're going to the draft. They're going kind to of keep developing. Um, and he wants to grow a side that contends in three years.
2: Well, and I think that there are a couple of things that come out of what you just said, Scott, like first and foremost, think about how much was on the line just for this list coming into the year. Right. Yeah. Like, if this year goes poorly for Zach Merritt, he's probably leaving, right? Yep. Like there's, yep. why wouldn't he at that point, right? Yep. If this year goes poorly for Darcy Parrish, he's probably asking out, right? Because his contract was up and we re-signed him for two years, yep. right? It's been long enough. Like I, I wouldn't, I would have zero disrespect. I would not think poorly of those players. Like the biggest lie that I think the AFL media tells, and it frustrates me to no end is that it's always on the player. It's never on the team. Right. Like, I think that they always take the side of these clubs saying like these players are being disloyal, like all that stuff, unless they're just like a full on unrestricted free agent. Right. Yep. Sometimes it's not on the club. Sometimes not on the player. Sometimes the club just hasn't done what right by the player up until this year. I think that it is very easy to say the club had not done right by Darcy Parrish at the end of the day. Without
0: a doubt. Darcy and, and um, Langers that Scott and I forever in a day have said that Kyle Langford would be in for one week at six foot three and a developing tall-ish forward mid, he'd be in for one week. He'd get seventeen possessions. He wouldn't set the world hundred percent on fire, but he'd get seventeen possessions and he'd get dropped for three weeks. Right. And then when right. an injury would come in or something would happen, oh, you know, we bring in Langers and we go great. He'd get leather poisoning in the in the twos and he'd get dropped. And he was he was Essendon's whipping boy for. I don't know how long. And every oh time God. that kid plays well, we always pump him up because he absolutely deserves all the success that he's now having. And I feel you're right with Darcy as well. I don't understand how in a saga year that we could play um,
1: – Parrish played in the saga year, didn't he, Scott? He played 2016. So when he drafted, he played – Yeah, right. We played him because the suspension no year, other The suspension year. The suspension
0: yeah. year, yeah. The, the suspension year. Um, we played him in the middle because – he was a young midfielder and we, it's all we had. The kid averaged 23 touches, right, in the, in the saga year. I don't understand how you look at that and go, well, damn, imagine if we trained him and played him in the midfield full-time. The second all the players came back, they chucked him at half-forward again. So I, I agree with what you just said, Sam, in that I think it's, it's, a, it's not a unique thing to Australian um, culture or Australian rules football, but when you get drafted by an Australian football club, the expectation is from fans is that you will be there forever. It's in my opinion, it's, it's different to the U S sport. Like you can yeah. baseball, everybody's seen the, the movie Moneyball. You can be drafted in one minute. The coach will sit right. you down in a, in a, in a room and say, we've traded you and you'll be on a plane that afternoon um, to your next well, um, city.
2: And the expectation is that the club will take care of you yes well yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Like they, they, want, they want to build um 10 12 year careers and they want to put your face on the wall um in the in the clubhouse and all that sort of stuff so i just think this year i, I agree with what you said about merit i reckon he walked in and said all right i want to stay Right, i want, I want to stay at this club i love it here but something has to change he put Give me a reason onus- to
2: stay sorry Give me a reason to That's stay.
0: it, yeah. Show me show me that this football club is progressing because it's been 20-odd years of just turning up, doing a job and going home and not really being like Geelong who would rip your head off for a premiership. Being like, like Hawthorne, being like Richmond who were completely ruthless. So I, I agree with what you said. He walked in and said, I'm talented. My talents can transfer to any other club in this comp. Why would I stay at Essendon? And then they must have convinced him truck and the boys must have convinced him. And you're right on the strength of this season. He's made the right decision, but I like the fact that these guys are walking into the club saying, no, no, no. Why would I stay at Essendon? Not why, mm-hmm. why would I leave? Why would you leave? No, no, no. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an asset. I'm a, a set of skills that are finite. They're going to drop off in a minute right. and all my knee could explode why would I stay here and not go to Richmond and, and replace um, Trent Cochin or somebody like that?
2: Right. Like, look, I, I love the Essendon football club, but at the end of the day, like just knowing the, I mean, just like being around players as much as I have been and have been lucky enough to be, I will always take like a player first approach to all mm. of this, just because at the end of the day, it's their career. It's and their life. It's Yeah. yeah. It's their life and they deserve to be happy somewhere. And to get back to the second point that you made, Scott, um, in regard to that they're going to be, this is going to be a slow build, right? They're going to just kind of fine tune around the margins and go to the draft and continue to build in the way that they should. And I think that's the right play for sure. I also think that it is in part a calculation just based on the realities of the market this year. Right.
1: It, is, it is a bit that way too, yeah. There's not much available. Yeah, yeah.
2: Like I, I can't remember a year where there is less available in free agency, like less exciting players. Like like I was like kind of pumped about Dylan Stevens who just resigned with Sydney. Like I was like, okay, yeah. this is something that might make sense for Essendon. I mean, Dylan Stevens hasn't really done anything yeah. yet for Sydney. Like in part of that, Sydney is a deep midfield and you know, X, Y, and Z, right? But yeah. like if that's like the guy that I'm frankly like most excited about us and then going out and recruiting it's just a down year you know what i mean
1: it's not a game changer no no uh no i i mean i i don't mind their approach um because it, it, to me there's still a lot of things to work on um like a, when you play the top six sides right or top six or seven sides and you know we obviously pretty much only beat the dogs um, out of those sides, um, you, you learn a lot about yourself uh, and, and, and where where your weaknesses are. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Essendon forward line, right? One thing I noticed with the Essendon forward line is we could de- – if you had a, a, a fairly weaker defence, um, we could get on top of you and score quite well. Like our offence was really flowing – you come up against Harris Andrews, Jake Lever, Sam Taylor. So you look at Harris Andrews, ten intercept marks against the Lions. Sam Taylor, twelve intercept marks. Jake Lever, ten intercept marks. You come against that next tier of. We looked a bit lost, and then we resorted to bombing. We resorted. Mm-hmm, yeah. We we lost our structure all of a sudden when we when you had that Sam May Lever kind of view. and they're the little things that I think in the off season you go well. How do we get to that next tier? Because when we played those the big monster backs, um, and it was no mistake too that we only scored thirty odd once. Once uh, Keith, um, oh, what's his name from the Bulldogs came back for the final. Their main, their main big defender, uh, Alex, Alex Keith. Alex, yeah, Alex. Yeah. So it's that next level for them because I felt like their ball movement to the forward line improved by probably about 45 percent, which was which is a good start, <laughs> but. It was the area I thought, dude. This is that's still a big area to grow. Um, so th- there's, I understand a little bit because the market's a bit dead. Um, that development is the is the approach here, and we'll draft another kid, and we'll just keep building. But I think truck if should be excited that there's a lot of growth. In, the, in this group because it is a young group. Like, you, you've lost the Hooker, you've lost the Ambrose, you've lost the Zaharakis. And, you know, you Nelly. if you played all senior games this year, Dyson Heppel is going to be your oldest player on the ground nearly every game. Um, so you, you've become a very youthful side. So there's a a lot of growth and, and I still think a lot of levels that these guys can get to. I think Parish can... Can um in in open space can get a bit better. Um, I think McGrath obviously with his like you said his his decision making can can improve a lot. Caldwell we haven't even seen. Uh, you know I don't talk about him too much because I don't want to pump up the kid. I watched him in February and March when they were doing more serious match simulations. I said at one stage. I know he won't be, but at the moment in training, he actually looks like our best midfielder. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know he's not, but he was attacking that preseason like like no tomorrow. Uh, and he looks sensational. Like I, I, I can only say it. I can only be honest. People say, oh, you're pumping him up. And I'm going, no, I'm just saying what I saw. I saw, and I, you know, I said, oh, no, I saw, I was talking about Heine again. Look, Heine's going to surprise people this year. This guy is a serious playoff half back. He's going to really surprise people. This is most of my things that I talked about. You see it training. You go, no, I, I can see it in training. I can see, and I said, you know, I remember getting, I got slammed on Twitter because I said Harrison Jones is the best kick for goal in the, in the side probably, and you'll see it during the year. His first game, he kicks zero goals four. Right, I'm like, no, the nerves. He then kicks twenty goals one after that, right. you know, and, and, you know, you see this, you see it happening and, um, but yeah. So Colwell, I, I think is a player that I'm really excited. I think truck will be excited about. Hopefully he gets his hammies sorted. Um, But there's a lot of areas of growth in, in this group. Um, they have, we haven't seen the Zach reads. There's still, there's still a yep. lot of things uh, to come. Uh, I actually heard a little whisper the other day that, they were actually considering Zach Reed as a possible forward, but it was just on a consideration stage, which was interesting. Um, I'm not sure if that's because of his light frame, but um, uh, he was asked about Cox. Was he playing forward? And, and Trucks said it was a bit hesitant. Yet he he kind of um, still liked where he was playing at the moment. Uh, so wafer thin. He's, th- he's thinner than Reedy. Yeah. So, yeah. but there's a lot of growth. Like I, I do feel like there's still we're still two years off. And then we haven't even discussed the name Sam Draper in this podcast yet. Right. And th- and that's, you know, what you started to see in the last month of the year um, was as exciting as a Ruckman as I've seen since probably Simon Madden. Uh, and I know you wouldn't know that name obviously yeah. too well, but he was the best Ruckman I'd ever seen. Um, he, uh, he was a Ruckman in the 80s. The most skillful um, tap Ruckman to a Rover I've ever seen. Like he, was, yeah. that was his skill. He just had this palm just, here you go, and off we ran. And, and Sam's connection, I thought, with Parrish and uh, Stringer uh, for this early at this stage was pretty good. Um, so he'll go to another level. Hopefully he works on his kicking a bit. But there's overall there's so much growth in this group because they're such a young group uh, that, you know, they just can't get ahead of themselves. And I think that's why I liked the the, the truck messaging so it's, we've got a lot of hard work to do. Um, we've still got a lot of growth to happen. We're still behind the tops, the top teams, um, and and we've got a lot of hard work to get there. So I really like the messaging.
2: Yeah, no, I, I like the messaging as well. I mean, you can only go out and get what's available at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't think that anyone at the Essendon Football Club would say that for the twenty twenty two season they have like an elite tall forward like for next year. Right. I think that they rightfully believe that Harrison Jones could be that someday. Uh, I think that they rightfully believe that Peter Wright can be a piece of a really good forward structure. Right. Um, But I I don't know that they have the guy basically. And I think that's why the Ben King rumors will continue to pop up until he resigns long-term at gold coast or decides to move on, Um, you know, you're going to continue to hear rumors about any small or any, like, upcoming tall that is out of contract that fits the age timeline of this group, right? Yeah. Um, But that's fine. Like like I said, you can only do what is available to you. You can only try to execute the moves that are on the board, right? And right now there's nothing on the board. And there's a guy,
1: look, there is a guy named Kane Baldwin that's on our list. Sure. That is we don't really know what we're going to get. If you talked about, you know, obviously, you know, Ed Pasco, um, who comes on the show, uh, he's, he's from AFL draft central. He, he, when you talk about him said what he saw him as a 16 year old, he said he's, he was easily a first round pick, um, as a forward, mm-hmm. just incredible hands. Great on the lead. We don't know what we've got almost with this, with this guy. And, you know, truck actually mentioned it, you know, that, from what he saw at the end of the year he was pretty excited and optimistic about what he can bring so but you're right there's just this unknowns about uh, uh quite a number of um uh players and then look and, a little- and,
2: and frankly as well like it, it's it's the back line as well because james stewart's like not young no anymore.
1: no what is he 28 that's young, why
2: man.
0: reedy for mine reedy walks straight into the right back line. I reckon Reedy's a back. We need him to be a back. Do, do, Sam, just quickly on that. The forward, do you honestly think we need another tall forward?
2: I think they need the guy. Yeah. I think they need really? like the centerpiece of the tall forward but Does
0: structure. that then malign right? Like if you you can't have, like Harry Jones going to run around at center half forward. And then you, are you going to have yeah. righty and a big, say Ben King, righty and Ben King in the deep in the forward line? Because – does, it makes us like and then you what you have waterman or stringer or um, Waller. Yeah, there. like
2: I'm not super convinced about Waterman necessarily, but you can stagger the minutes of those guys pretty easily given okay. the bench and everything. Like I think you almost always want a tall out there who can also rock. Um like someone like Peter Wright like yeah. makes sense as someone who can pinch it. Like he'll play 60% of the game, comes in goes forward when one of the forwards need a rest, pinches it hits in the ruck whenever uh Sam Draper needs a rest, and occasionally plays with the talls. Like that forward unit with Kale Hooker, Peter Wright, and Harrison Jones this year was not like it was not unsuccessful. You know mm. what I mean? Because they did a pretty good job of staggering minutes and making sure it didn't get too cluttered in there. So I'm um, I'm tentatively pretty okay with it, but to be honest, like I, I I like Peter Wright a lot. I think he looks like a genuinely like effective AFL player now in a real way. I don't think that you make list decisions based off of Peter Wright at the end of the day. Like, well, yeah.
1: I mean, if if you've got Ben King, right. Who's already kicking close to 50 goals for the Suns, If you get, end up getting a Ben King that can kick you 60 goals it, in a ruthless, horrible world, it's a, you do it because you, you, you it's because Peter sorry, that, That's how Peter, you win a title. Peter Wright's never like, going to how you win a flag. Yeah, Peter Wright's not going to kick you over forty goals.
0: So, yeah, but, but the thing is, like, it, I mean, you want to be going to give up? Or is Ben King going to be a
1: unrestricted free agent? No, no. Oh, you're
2: definitely going to have to move stuff. You're
1: going to have to. you going to yeah. have to have two first rounds or whatever. You're going to
0: have to. Yeah. I, but the thing is, we scored over a hundred points a lot this year. Like we, we scoring wasn't our issue. And Righty did his job and Stringer was down there kicking a few. And you're right on Waterman. He's he's yet to sort of set the world on fire. But um we got enough goals this season out of our forward line, the way it's currently set up. And that was without Harrison Jones and with uh with Kale sort of tailing off towards the end of his career. We still kicked a fair amount of goals. So I I don't know about the... I mean, like, if Ben King said we'd like to come to Essendon, we will find that man a spot, surely, right? But I just think we've got righty who's the big inside 50 target and the guy that can take a mark on a lead and he can bomb it in on him and let the, the crummers run around him. We've got Harry Jones who's running around at centre-half forward and we've got Langford down there pinch hitting for a mark and stringer pinch hitting for a mark. I'd, I don't know that we need to move heaven and earth to get Ben King.
2: Well, the, the, thing that, the thing that getting another big, tall forward does, it, first and foremost, Cale Hooker kicked 33 goals this year. That's 33 yeah. goals that yeah. are, like, leaving the lineup um, that, like, just aren't coming back. And I think that we kind of saw that late in the year to an extent without him and Harrison Jones to an yeah. extent as well because Harrison yeah. Jones was out and that shouldn't be ignored. But I also just kind of look at the teams that are left and – or the teams that are great. Like they all have that great key forward outside of Melbourne, I guess, but like Melbourne plays pretty big. Like they play Tom McDonald is like another tall that's in the forward line next to their other talls. They move max gone forward at times. Like Bailey Fritch is more of like that mid mid-sized forward, but you know that they, they play pretty big and they especially play pretty big in the back line. Um, You know, Brisbane has Joe Danaher that they went out and got because they felt like they needed another guy to play next to Dan McStay and Eric Kipwood and Oscar McInerney, right? You know, Geelong obviously plays pretty big across the front line with Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron. Uh, The Bulldogs play pretty big across the front line with Aaron Naughton and they had Josh Bruce earlier this year. And, like, all of these teams have multiple talls that they can just stick back there. I think it's really, really important – And on top of that, in terms of the Essendon structure particularly, I think it really helps to have that other tall because it makes it even easier to push Jake Stringer into the midfield as long as he's healthy and as long as he's running and fit in the way that he was this year. You feel like you don't have to start him deep as often, I feel like, in order to have forward structure.
0: If we had that too, I mean, we could – one of the things I'm really looking forward to seeing, which we haven't because he's he's still learning his craft, is um, Sammy Draper just starting to kick into gear as a ruckman, like really starting to, yeah. to be the kind of player that we want to have. But I I reckon I would love to see him deep um, running out of a forward line as well because he's yeah. he's so athletic and he can jump high and he's he's this year we we Scotty and I have a uh, a bit of a joke uh, system on the on the podcast. Um, Scotty's uh, blowtorch of truth um, that we apply to players that we don't think are performing particularly well. We uh, we apply the blowtorch and they completely ignore it. But um, <laughs> we apply the blowtorch to these players, and Scotty applied the uh, the just the just the blowtorch. It wasn't the uh, sort of flamethrower of truth. Just the blowtorch to Sammy Draper, and we said, "Mate, he's 105, six foot six. He should be throwing himself around, not." like the idiot from GWS that is just a grub and just pounds people because he's a crap footballer. Um, But Sammy Draper should be taking 105 kilos and imprinting um, his rear end on dude's heads, right? Um, And he started to do it. He started to be really physical about how he attacks marking contests and the like. And I would really like to see him have a rest from the ruck for – Periods of the game and be floating yeah. across into that forward line as well. So you, you you're starting to convince me. You, you maybe you're right. If we had that guy, that extra tall, then you could put Peter Wright in the forward line. per Sorry, in the ruck permanently, and move Sammy down there for a bit of a rest. And maybe he clunks one. Maybe he clunks two down in that forward line as a really dangerous mobile sort of maxi gorn type action.
2: Yeah, like there are just so few rucks in the competition that can out high point the ball yeah. compared yeah. to Draper because of how athletic he is. Um, like Max Gonn almost certainly can, just cause Max Gaughan's six foot ten and yeah. is just like laughably good at football. Um, but beyond him, like I think that like Sam Draper can get higher than like Nick Natanui and like all these other guys, even that are the athletic ruckmen of the competition. And I actually agree with Scott to an extent, like I was kind of frustrated at points with Sam Draper this year, Uh, not to say he had a bad year. I mean, he's a young developing rock who is still coming off of an ACL injury. Like I think he's what 18 months off of an ACL injury, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. 20 months, maybe. So like, it's all contextual. It, It all is, you know, you have to, take it with what it is and he's developing, but I saw some of the hype that was coming as if like Sam Draper is a phenomenal rock. And I, I don't know that he's that yet. I think he's probably going to be that. I mean, at some point he's so athletic it, it, watching him in the rock is unbelievable compared uh, yeah, to some of the other players. I mainly, the th-
1: I mainly thought his last month was, was, was uh, before that I was probably going, yeah, he's not going as well as people are talking him up. And then probably the last three or four games, I thought he was starting to just get it. Um, Not in everything, but he he was having much bigger influences. Um, I mean, I think we won like the, before the final, we won our last three games. Uh, And he was, I thought he was a big catalyst and that little run um, to get us into the eight because he's starting to really click and have an influence uh, over the ground. But look, just just even on the Ben King one, right? So I was just having a look at the top eight kind of teams that we played. And I was talking before about the Lever. And, and this is where Essendon may be thinking because we score like 65 against Port. Um, we score 45 um, Brisbane. Uh, if I go down, excuse me for a sec. Uh, we score 68 Melbourne. We score, sorry, 57 against Melbourne, 57 against Geelong. Uh, obviously, in the final, we score... Uh, only 36. So they're, they're, they're the kind of, they'll go, our four lines kind of good. Um, but when we play that top echelon, um, suddenly we're only averaging, you know, 50 points, give game kind of thing, 50, 55 points per game. And that's where they're going to go. Well, how do we get, what do we do? Is it our ball movement or is it our personnel? And I'll be very interested to see how they view that. Um, I think if Ben King became available, I think that would go hard for him. Yeah. Um, that that's my personal, and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not trying to trying to trade anyone or anything like that. But it's say if in the situation of Brian, it doesn't play much games this year, I can see a package happening because GC wanted to offer of Brian about four years, right? That were, mm. So I can see I can see a certain way of how to get around that, and um, so um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. But. I mean, yeah, it, it would
2: take. Two for it'd be like two firsts and Nick Bryan. I mean mm. Ben King's going to be one of the like elite 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 goal scorers in the competition. Yeah, if he scores like
1: yeah, if he scores 55-60 goals next year. He's what to he kick 48 or something, 47 this year. If he does yeah, that like, then it's it's going to be such hot property. Um that you you
2: you really might be able to convince me that Ben King has like the highest trade value of any player in the competition right now. Mm just because of the key position aspect of it. Not to say he's the best player in the competition, but he's a young 22 year old key position player who is already damn near elite in the competition. Like in a poor, I guess in getting, a poor side. <laughs> yeah. I guess he's getting paid a lot already, which might like yeah. limit that to an extent because whoever signs him is going to have to shell out a million a year. I think pretty easily yeah. for him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, he has more trade value than any other key forward outside of maybe Harry Mackay, I would say. like yeah. pro- Probably outside of Mackay, maybe. Then, like, Aaron Aaron Naughton would probably be in that mix, too, I he's, would say.
0: He's elevated himself greatly this year. Yeah.
2: So, it, I mean, it's just going to cost an exceptional amount uh, to go get someone like that. Yeah and like midfielders are great. Like Lockie Neal's phenomenal and probably would have cost multiple first round picks to get him too. But I feel like with what, I mean, we just saw the crazy trade negotiation with Jeremy Cameron last year. Um, It it will be even greater than that.
1: I would expect. Yep. And look, just we haven't got too much long at all, but uh, we're going to have a a bit of a draft show coming up. Ed Pascoe is going to join us to to, to kind of the cover the draft as a little teaser. Uh, a couple of names to look out for just that, I, that I, I'll that just say that I kind of believe the club has interviewed. Now, I say that the club probably interviews 30 players, right? So it doesn't mean they're naturally <laughs> going to be aligned up to our draft pick or anything. But I don't know how, how to pronounce his name, but we have pick 11, 48, and 54. As they probably have three main picks to look out for. Uh, around the 48, 54, um, I would look out for a guy named Ronald – now, I don't know if it's Fajo or Fayo. It's F-E-J-O, Jr. Um, so sorry if I, if I pronounce that wrong. Um, have a look at him on uh, on YouTube, uh, Ronald Fayo, Jr. Um, incredibly X-Factor indigenous boy. P- looks like he plays on the wing. Um, and then you got naziah Wangani-Malera, who is more aligned to the pick 11. Uh, so another indigenous wingman. So there's a bit of a wingman feel to, to this draft uh both high, highly skilled both can get out of traffic pretty easily um uh with with um wangani Molera, you know there's a that's little that's a no-brainer scotty that's a no-brainer yeah there's a little bit of talk that he actually is getting some hype pretty quick so it it, it may not even get to us by the time because a pick 11 ends up being like pick 13 and 14 on the right yeah. with academy players and all that sort of father-sons and whatever. So, it, the you know, the, I heard one uh, expert kind of say he's a bit concerned that he might not get to us, but it will be close. Um, but, yeah, so they're just a couple of names to look out for. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, the draft's still, I think it's like still six or so weeks away. So it's, um, so it's still, but the trade period coming up, it looks like, you know, It's not going to be much of an exciting trade period, to be honest. Um, free agency, obviously, we pick up Jake Kelly from Adelaide, which is an interesting one because uh, Jake Kelly, um, known as kind of a mid-size lockdown defender, uh, that may release for me uh, like a Ridley or, or Redmond uh, to play more of a, an intercept offensive kind of uh, role, which I think they're really, really good at. So it'll be interesting how the club views that. Um, but a, a big off-season uh, coming in. And then you've got the, the real Smokey as a guy who wins a Gaelic football competition in Ireland. Um, and, you know, he it, it was very really, – Connor McKenna was very open when he, when he left Essendon that he, a big, big bucket list was to head back to his town of Tyrone and, and win, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if the word is over there, grand final or whatever. And he, all All-Irish final. All Irish final, and he actually did it. <laughs> so, um,
0: I just have concerns now that he's going to want to go back to back with them and he's been trying to go the three-peat action. I don't know that we'll be seeing Connor anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I mean, he obviously put out the teaser, right? I and mean, he's probably had his seventh Guinness, um, but he obviously <laughs> put out the teaser. Hey, any AFL clubs interested in a half-back uh, after the grand final? So, it'll be interesting. Um, look. You know, I, I like that the club, re, you know, tweeted him back and saying, "Hey, yeah, we're right here. To talk to yeah, any
0: any time you like, Connor."
1: Um, but it, I love that
2: dude. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. love that dude.
1: So, so I, you know, no one really knows if it's just a bit of a, a bit of an all nothing, but it, there is something to say that he, you know, he's ticked a big big bucket list that he wants to uh, accomplish, um, and whether that leads him to say, well. He, I mean, when he left Essendon, he was quite open, saying, "Look, you know, I, I, I am definitely leaving it open that I can come back, um, and possibly play, um, uh, to fulfil a goal I wanted to do with Essendon." So uh, you never really know. Would we need to draft him again? Like, would we need to? He'd like he'd nominate for what the preseason draft or something, and we'd pick him up. I don't know that I, I did read somewhere that there's some kind of an exemption that you can possibly just get him back. Um, okay. But but I'm not quite certain. Um, there was a lot of discussion around that, about how that would transpire. I think either way, it would get to us back on, on on the cheap. Um, yeah. Um, because he left, you know, I think AFL clubs are a little bit more accommodating that way than maybe international sports. That, you know, I mean, he, you know, had the whole COVID thing and it just, life was messed up um, and he just went back home. I think most would just say, you know, I'm coming back to Essendon and I think that would be either way if it was through a draft or whatever, I think most clubs would understand the situation. Um, no, no, I mean, doubt, no doubt they'll pitch to him though.
2: <laughs> yeah, just from a leverage perspective, all he'd have to say is I'm coming back to Essendon or I'm not yeah, coming yeah. back. Yeah. Like, and that would stop other teams. I mean, the, the question that I have about this offseason is it seems like they are clearing some roster spaces in like a pretty real way. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we have the two retirements Hooker and Ambrose. We have David Zyrakis who is not being offered a contract, potentially retiring. We'll see. Yep. We have the three that were delisted Lockie Johnson, Irving Mosquito and Nick Kale. Yep. And then Cal report from over the week or earlier this week saying that Dylan Clark and Martin Gleason are not going to be offered contracts immediately. It feels like they're leaving some spots mm-hmm. open to make moves. There's obviously and something in the works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's obviously, yeah.
2: I can't figure out why, like I can't figure out what, like where the chess pieces are moving in an interesting way.
0: Mate, just a quick one for me, like you said, Scotty, before we wrap it up for next season, what do you think we need to do to take the next step? What, what are the, what are the areas that we need to either improve in or remain consistent in to take sort of another another improvement step that at the end of the year we'll say yep
2: we're that much closer. You guys, then I'll be honest. Like if they consolidate this year, I will be happy. Um, Meaning another good solid version of last year. If they are twelve and eleven, let's say versus eleven and twelve, and have a one hundred and nine percentage, yeah, I'll see that as a win personally. Okay. Um, in terms of like on field stuff, I think Scott brought up great points in regard to, I thought our forward structure broke down immensely whenever we played good teams. Um, I, I would like to see better structure from the forward unit. Like this is something that my wife who knows more about AFL than I will ever know um, <laughs> yells at the TV about constantly. So shout out my darling wife, Laura, Um <laughs> She brings up that, like, there are very few times where the key forwards, particularly, are leading, and instead we're bombing it deep to Peter Wright, who's getting a three step jump and trying to contest it. Mark, mm-hmm. um, part of that could be like athleticism based, right? Like, Peter Wright is a bit of a lumberer,
0: yeah.
2: and sometimes, like, he really needs to get loose from someone, like, yeah. he needs like. The, he needs to be being defended by like an intercept midfielder who's out li- or intercept fullback who's like out perusing for a potential intercept. And then he catches them like on the backside and like sprints the other direction right off of a steal. Yep. But. I think that there's space for improvement in the forward line in terms of like coming out to leads, maybe getting the midfielders eyes down a little bit more into that, like 25 to 40 meter area, as opposed to kicking it to the top of the circle every time. Um, If we see that growth, I'll be pretty happy. And as long as the defense consolidates itself, I saw that, GN Syracusa just um, interviewed with Carlton for the head job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, hopefully he stays. If not, you know, good luck to him at Carlton to some extent, I guess, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> because we don't want him to win necessarily, but, uh, no. you know, nonetheless, we hope he does as well as he can without winning games. Um, I-, I would just hope that they – consolidate the defensive effort that they showed this year, particularly in regard to the talls, because the key position guys are the key to me. I trust the midfield. I trust, I I would like to see more wings. Like I would like maybe move Dylan shield out to a wing if possible, just to try and get that run. I would move maybe, um, you know, hopefully Nick Cox, if they're going to not play him as a key forward, like maybe that's his home is on the wing. Um, Maybe it's Kyle Langford out on the wing. Like, I would like to see more of a, I would like to see them keep their width as often as possible. Yeah. Um. I would like to see consolidation of the defensive effort this year, which I thought was outstanding uh, for what the talent level on this team was defensively uh, in terms of the key position guys. And I would like to see uh, just a bit more creativity against good sides in terms of um, forward structure and in terms of, Decision making to those key players that are taking leads from uh, the midfield.
1: W- look, it, if we could, if we're being very honest, it was a little bit telling that we play the Western Bulldogs, and the day after the Ford coach has been let go. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I thought that was a bit telling that they understand exactly the situation um, going into 2022. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a big the GS situation is bigger than I I think it's probably talked about because we're actually two assistants short already, because the club has said that they never really replaced Kelly, but they're going to now uh, in this off season. And obviously Dan Jordan leaving, they've got to replace him. Gia, you don't want it to be suddenly three assistants that you, you want to kind of yeah. replace. Um, so it's an it's an interesting off season for the club to, to get that part right. I mean, it was kind of fortunate Josh Marnie, um has decided to stick with the club because football operations is obviously that holds that all together, all those recruitments. Um, so it was really critical that he remained. Um, so that's one positive, and and you know, to get a lot of things right, it, it's it's not talked about enough that what we've got to get right is the VFL program. Um, to because what had happened a lot this year is guy. I, this is my personal belief. I felt sometimes Archie and Cox got games because Truck didn't have faith in the VFL program. We're pretty much coming second, last or last. Um, we were just weren't winning the ball. It was quite a weak team. We only recruited for the VFL basically in January um, and all those all the main VFL guys had already been recruited by other clubs that were on the market. Um, so... there's. Those are the kind of things like if you can have a much stronger VFL program this year that that is developing some younger talent, um, that will go a long way as well. So there's still a lot of things to get right uh, and to improve, but the positive is they made a, a giant step forward um, in, in this year in, in many ways. But uh, now it's sort of um, honing, on, honing in on um, what to get right, um, get the VFL program right, get the forward structure right, uh, get, uh, get our systems set up right. And um, and uh, the big positive for probably globally <laughs> for these guys is that you hope that the hub situation is no longer a thing. Uh, yeah. And I think that will be a big impact to this young group. Uh, so, you know, they've played, I think, 12 interstate games, including the final this year, uh, and they've never probably played more than six uh in any other year. So an indifferent year in many ways. And, you know, that's why making the eight I thought was a probably overachieved. Um was a kind of a, an unexpected overachievement. Uh but they've got a real opportunity with probably, you know, you, you're gonna have more of your thirteen, fourteen games at Marvel or the G again, kind of structure this year, uh with crowds. Um, and no hub life. I, I, I'm kind of curious to see where they where they go from here. I, I, I personally think they've probably got 13 wins. I'd like, you know, for me, it's around 13 wins is probably where I'd like to see us progress to. Uh, because I think with the non hub situations and us playing more at Marvel and MCG, I think there's a couple of wins there that 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 are extra, and that's where I kind of sort of see the natural linear growth. Um, but you know, I. I kind of got this funny feeling too. There's a little bit of like um, it's a bit of an unknown. Like do we take a Brisbane jump or do we just take a small consolidation jump?
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think this year, if we're being completely honest about the, it was a great year for Essendon. It, It was so far above expectation, which is why I think we're all excited. This was probably a season where there were seven finals teams realistically. And then they had to take an eighth because that's the way that the like final series works. Right. Um, there were probably seven legitimate finals teams, including GWS in Sydney, along with the top five. We just happen to have the best percentage of the other team. Yeah. And that's okay. Like that's an immense step forward. And everyone at the club should be so ecstatic about the way that the progress is being made, but that's why I'm pretty high on just, Hey, if they consolidate this next year, that's a huge win for them. Like, it's just a huge win because it showcases that they're still growing. There are still so many young guys on this roster and on this list that like guys like Harry Jones, guys like Archie Perkins, Nick Cox, those guys are like going to be 22 in 2023. Like it's just, it's going to take more time than what I think, um, maybe not than what the club expects. Certainly. I think that they're definitely taking the right trajectory. I just hope that the fan base keeps those expectations yeah, just yep. like tampered down a touch. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: You, you've lost a lot of experience, whether you like it or not. You, yeah. it's, it's a younger team next year than this year. <laughs> so yeah. you've got to have, you got to have some perspective, um, uh, I guess the the only thing that's the positive is the mature part of the team is the midfield <laughs> with with yeah. the Merritt Parish Langford Stringer, you we know bra, that, that, yeah. that that kind of set up yeah, at least the strength of your team is is your midfield and, and you will just it's a bit of unknown how how they'll go but you know Saint Kilda won a final the previous year and and clubs worked them out and they went okay you know they're not a surprise anymore they did the big jump. They didn't make the finals this year, so that happens a lot in this competition. You you jump quite a bit up. Opposition coaches take notice, have much more different tactics and how to approach you. Uh, and then you've got to you've got to work through that. You've got to have your plan Bs and your plan Cs. And how how, how do how do we um how do we uh, adapt to a seven man you know backline? How do we when they flood the backline? How are we going to get around it? How are we going to think through this? Uh, if Parrish gets tagged out of the game, what are we going to do? Are we going to swap him, uh, put him on a wing? Are we going to put Caldwell in? Or How are we going to adapt to these? So a lot of these challenges, Ben Rutten has a much more serious coaching role um, <laughs> next year. Uh, actually, it was very serious this year, but he has a, a, an extra gear that he needs to go to 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 get this team up and, uh, and countering oppositions that won't be surprised by our club anymore. But hey, but, uh, <laughs> that's about it for us. I think. Yeah, mate, um, I think that was, uh, we have, uh, we've done well and truly done over our time. I'm about an hour, Absolutely. A- an hour and 25. So sorry, Sam, I just realized how much time I got away.
2: It's okay. I'm i uh, I'm, I'm here to chat. I mean, I feel like last year we did like three hours on this podcast. So this we cut it in half this year. I feel like that <laughs> nice. was a win for
1: us. <laughs> so look, um, yeah, we really appreciate it, mate. Um, uh, Thanks everyone for for tuning into the show. You can obviously see hear the show on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify and all those all those familiar um, kind of outlets. Uh, you can go check us out on Lunch Catch Up on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, Lunchtime Catch Up. Uh, you can go to a Lunchtime Catch Up Facebook group, which is still getting so many people joining up. So it's a big. Hello, we that. we love that. Um, thank you again to our Patreons. I'm going to do. Uh, a Patreon show on the draft. So we're going to do, I'm hoping to do like a live Zoom show with Ed Pasco, and and people can actually just ask questions on Zoom live uh, yep. uh, and just ask him any draft questions you want. So for people who are patreon. interested in
0: Patreon.com forward slash the Lunchtime Catch-Up. Come and check us out. Little as um, three bucks Australian. You can uh, get a couple of extra shows a week um, for us. Uh, uh, the uh, Thursday night team selection show, the post-game reaction show, um, and yeah, we do uh, special shows like this with uh, with access to our very favourite guests.
1: Um, and uh, yeah, that that draft one should be really good. And look, just just uh, also the the new club logo came out yesterday with the 150th launch. Uh, the logo looks sensational. I, I don't know what other people think, but if you know the history of our club logos, the, how they incorporated the ho- all the little things that go into the historical part of our logo. I mean, if you're ever going to buy a jersey, or <laughs> this is going to be oh, the year. Yeah, so. ne- next
0: season's next season's merch for me. I'm going to be if if we're allowed to go to games and stuff. But next season's merch for me will be well and truly something you can buy, um, and th- that that's that's going to be great to see what the game uh, the game tops look like next year.
1: Yeah, and then we've got um, so the club's been working on for 24 months and an, an eight-part series of the history of the club. Um, no doubt, the, the media jumped on the one part of the series which was around the saga, which I, I, I totally understand. But it'll be it'll be an eight-part series, and they're providing that to Fox Footy, and Fox Footy is going to play that eight-part series on KO and Fox Footy. So definitely look out to that. I think Xavier said that for Essendon members they can get a temporary KO free pass, so they can watch it. Um, so I don't know what that involves, but that was interesting. Um, um, little development. So big 150th year. It's going to be a huge year for the club. Uh, So many things I believe are going to be happening during the year to celebrate the 150th year. Um, Does that seem insane to you, Sam, that a a team is 150 years old because for for such a a young country.
2: country? uh, Baseball teams in the U S are pretty damn close to that old. There are a few Uh hockey teams in Canada that are that old. So I'm, it's it's uh it's definitely a big number <laughs> um but one uh that yeah i feel like is is well within well within belief to me but i love it nonetheless
1: yeah yep uh and um yeah so we've obviously got the trade week and draft week coming up and we know how much sam loves the media covering trade week in australia
2: <laughs> oh god guys i can't I can't <laughs> I can't <laughs> I just can't like I, I tweet about it. I, I try to stop myself from <laughs> tweeting about the coverage of AFL media. And I think they're great reporters. Like, I think that AFL media particularly does it really well. Like, yeah. I think that um, there are guys like, I think Tom Morris does a really good job like for Fox footy. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of guys that do it really, really well. And there are a lot of production choices that ruin their great work.
1: Yeah. yeah, <laughs> That's a good, that's a good way of putting it. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's a, this time of year is the one where you're just scratching your head because there's I don't know how, how the Eston football club can be aligned to uh, 80 players every trade season, but we are. Um, <sighs> every single one of them. So uh, yeah, it's, Oh, this, you know, Charles definitely going to Essendon. He's going to select Essendon. Charles selects Gold Coast.
0: (laughs) He's on his way to Essendon. Yeah, I love
1: it. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so it is what it is. But thank you, everyone. Uh, Thanks for an awesome year. We're going to obviously be still around. There's obviously, yeah, trade week, draft week. So we're definitely going to be doing... Uh, some extra shows. Look, the main show probably won't be like every week because there's not a game every week. But yep. for, for for big events that are happening in the off-season, we're definitely going to have a podcast. And for the Patreons, I'm hoping to have some more interactive draft, session, draft and trade talk for you with some experts. So look out for those. Thank you again, Sam. Have a great Saturday. Uh, Grantis, I'll see you at a picnic. The two vaccinated couples are having a picnic. Can you um,
0: believe that the lunchtime catch-up is actually having a catch-up? Can you believe that? <laughs> yes. um, and at, lunch, also, at lunchtime. And at lunchtime, <laughs> which would just be amazing. We should do a half a show. But, um, yeah, I want to also say thank you, uh, Sam, for coming on, mate. We know you're really busy. And uh, we do appreciate uh, you coming on and, and the, the level of knowledge and understanding that you have. So thank you. And, again, thank your massively uh, lovely wife for introducing you to the Essendon Footy Club.
2: As always, all of the credit goes to my wife, Laura.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> that's, and rightly so. That's how you stay married, <laughs> yep. Uh, thank you, everyone. Have a great uh, rest of your weekend and we'll be back soon.